0: Are the ultimate source of inspiration, knowledge, and entertainment, look no further. Network Kingdom is a unique platform that brings together experts from various industries. Through networking and collaboration, we create inspiring conversations that educate, entertain, and motivate our listeners. Whether you're a business professional, an entrepreneur, or simply someone looking to grow their knowledge base,
1: hey people i'm here again and of course i always bring you the most interesting guests so get ready to listen to this amazing amazing story um hi reginald thank you for being here and um, thank you for being on our podcast um, it's so good to meet you virtually <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you omu Yes, That's right. Thank you all for having me. And I love what you're doing. So I'm glad to be on the sh- uh, podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. So how are you doing today?
0: Well, I have this saying, uh, I can't complain because it won't change it.
1: Exactly. I need to, you know, <laughs> every time I'm interviewing people, you know, I, 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 I initially I didn't like writing because I wanted to look all formal and I'm looking but I kept missing out on some hot stuff. So now I always have a pen and
0: paper beside me to jot down some things. <laughs> you have to because you never know what message is going to be exactly for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly,
1: exactly, exactly. So I'm sure my people want to know who is. So I'm going to call him Reggie. Um, I'm sure some other people call him Reginald, but I'm going to call him Reggie. So
0: who is Reggie? Well, Reggie, first off, is a, a child, a man of God. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Um, amen. Yes. <laughs> I came from a long way um from the what they call the, the streets. I was in prison, incarceration, things like that. Well, besides that, I'm I'm an at-risk specialist. I help people turn their pain into purpose. I'm a certified life coach, author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur. Mentor, all that good stuff, and so so Reginald is a various amount of things through God. Did you start from the bad stuff to the good stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I usually tell when I'm when I travel and I speak, I always tell people I'm going to tell you the good stuff. I'll show them books and fashion line, all the magazines I've been on. Then I say i'll get to the good, the great stuff. Because when you go into the darkness, you can show people what I overcame to let them know that it's possible. You know what I mean? I, I let them know. Um, you know, starting I, I m- m- growing up in Chicago projects through gangs. my Mother was abusive. She was on drugs, um, and she ended up in prostitution. And um, so my mother had a bad temper, and I and I basically got some of that. But sh- I was shipped from house to house like an orphan. It wasn't stable, you know. So I I, I went through a lot of bullying, a lot of uh, running from gangs, and having to be violent. And uh, I ended up moving with my father. Um, anybody on the show ever heard of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air television show. My life was like that. My father was middle income with my stepmother. They were corporate America. They had the four cars, a pool. They lived in Miami, Florida. It was nice. And I came from the Chicago projects. Um, I mean, um, bullet holes in the doors and all kinds of drugs (laughs) and things like that. Yeah. And I moved to Miami and it was like a whole other world. And so when I moved there, it was supposed to be a time that I would um get my life together and by the time I was 14 you know I, I if you remember 14 years old you started smelling yourself you thought you were grown you thought you knew what you were doing so when I moved my father I, I didn't want to being raised by a mother that really um didn't have a she was you know abusive in a way physically but she didn't have a strict retro about helping me grow and being an accomplished person in life you know I, I basically almost took care of myself then you move into a military home where dad is trying to check your homework and he's getting on the phone while I'm on the phone with girls at nine, nine o'clock saying get off the phone. It was embarrassing. So I went through a lot of things when I moved to to Miami and I never, never caught on to what my, God, my, my father was trying to teach me. And so in the midst of that, I found out something horrible that my father, um, he had Cubans and Colombians that were friends and they were selling drugs. So that's what the saying is if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And in the midst of that, him and my stepmother, I knew, and I my stepmother, when you talked to her on the phone, um, she su- she spoke so pr- proper English that I thought it was a white woman. Coming from the Chicago projects, you know, we spoke slang and hip and like that. And my mother, my, my stepmother is black, but I never heard a woman speak. And my father had to teach me, um, you know, correct English is not a race. I mean, that's the way of, you know, that's the way of life. Now, and, and I didn't understand that. So you can imagine being taught how to eat with a salad fork, a soup spoon. So I had a whole different world, just like the French Prince of Bel-Air when I moved to Miami. And um, I ended up getting in fights immediately because I came from Chicago like that. And like the second day of school, my father wanted me to, first of all, he wanted me to go to a private school. He wanted me to go to all boys school. And I was like, are you crazy? I begged him not because the girls school was across the street, but I couldn't imagine me being in high school with no girls. And I begged him and then um he he finally listened. And the second day in this middle uh middle school where in, in the in the not the hood because my dad didn't live in the hood, but across the street was a little rougher area. I got bullied the second day. Some guys tried to take my money.
1: And Are from that day on, it?
0: I huh? You weren't having it. No, I wasn't having it. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't have a chance at that moment. It was five of them. <laughs> but from that day on, um I started saying that I'm going to have to be like the streets. I'm tired of this. I'm going to have to get with a, a gang. I'm going to have to get with some guys. So me focusing on being something was going to do it. Because all I know is from when my father got me, I had been through a lot. And now I'm seeing almost the same pattern, even though I lived in this nice house and had all these opportunities. And that's why, you know, I was carrying a chip on my, my shoulder. And a lot of us are doing that. We're living a life even into an adult age and that we haven't got healed from some things. And so yeah, we carry right. that with us. And that's what I went through. But um, my father and my stepmother ended up getting a divorce. Um, they had a nice marriage and everything, but I, like I said, I found out my father's friends were selling drugs, and they didn't really argue in front of me, my stepmother and my father, but there were some things that weren't going right. And uh, they ended up getting a divorce, And I and my father went from this corporate America clean suit guy to where he's riding around in limos with two white women who are prostitutes, and he's selling drugs. It's almost like a... A real movie. My father went—I mean, clean-cut suspenders—because what happened is the when my father was in the streets, like I was in his twenties, he he went to the army and changed his life. But he never got a spiritual transformation, like I in prison, which I'll get into. I accepted God, obeyed God. He never had that. He was the type of person—if you—if um, he didn't do drugs, he didn't do crime, he didn't think he needed to be in church. So um, he never. So when life hit him hard, he he went back. To what he knew he didn't have a spiritual foundation so he went back to hustling and did what he did at, at his age so i'm 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 embarrassed to even let, have my friends come around because i can't believe my father's selling drugs and has prostitutes with him he's like running a what we call in america's a trap he's running a drug area and um i started getting more in the streets he's he's disappearing i am robbing the bank because i was trying to take care of the house now before i, I robbed the bank i called relatives i called certain family members, nobody will help me. You know, one, one person, uh, a, a, a family member that was close to my dad, I thought I was lying. She said, you're always lying. They couldn't believe that my dad was dealing with drugs because he was the one that went to the army. They used to call him Mr. Dictionary. You know, he was the one that made it. So nobody would really believe that my father was going backwards. So uh, I ended up robbing a bank and I got, I went to prison for bank robbery at 19 years old. Yeah, and I definitely was off the chain. And, and when I got into prison, uh, what happened was they legally sentenced me to 18 and a half years, my first charge. And how that it's happened, happened was, it was a legal sentence of 18 and a half years, my first charge. My, my charge was only supposed to carry nine years. It's three years for carrying a gun because I shot a gun in the bank. So I, I was supposed to get three years for that and then five years, because bank robbery carries five years if you don't use a, a weapon. I was supposed to have nine years, but what they said was, They said, I took time in broad daylight and I robbed the people who worked there. I took their wallet and their purse and broad daylight. Then I ran inside the bank, which was a lie because someone on drugs wouldn't do that because they're going to see you in broad daylight robbing somebody. So, but what happened when they went inside the bank and they went to work, I did run in the bank. I took their personal stuff. I took the bank money. I was off the chair. I needed money. And so I ended up illegally charged with nine years in state prison and nine and a half years in federal prison but I was only supposed to have a federal charge because that's a bank robbery. And that bank charge trumps, it overtakes the state charge because it's a bank robbery. And what they did was the state judge said, well, we're going to run our time concurrent, meaning that it'll run while I'm in federal prison, my state time is going off the calendar day for day at the same time. Yeah. But when I came from the, uh, the court, there were some other guys that had federal problem charges. So we're coming from state to go do our time in federal after we got sentenced in state prison. And they let all these guys get on the van and then they stopped me. And the, the, the officer's looking at his clipboard, he said, Mr. Foreman, you got to do your state first, then you're fed. And I'm like, wait, that's nine years, then nine and a half, that's 18 and a half years. Right before my eyes at 21 years old, I didn't start getting in the Bible, praying like my grandmother said, it got worse. And so now I got 18 and a half years in prison. And I- um, Did you say-
1: Nine
0: and a half years they get they charge they said I gotta go do my nine years then go do my nine and a half I know 18 and a half years right before my eyes and so now I'm in a state prison and I, and I, and I, I don't know what I'm doing and I finally it was like God I finally started getting strong I, I just all I could do was surrender more to God or I was gonna you know you know getting really violent in prison or taking my life that's how I felt Because now I come from a mother on drugs, being bullied. And then I had, let me tell you this. I went to trial. I had a trial for my case. And uh, um, usually they tell you in in the courts that if a public defender helped if you don't have a paid lawyer, public defenders don't care nothing about you. They go to lunch with the the prosecutor. You shouldn't deal (laughs) with it. And um, my prosecutor, my public defender, came into the little holding room. He looked at me. He saw, I don't know what he saw in me. He took his glasses off. He said he was hearing me speak. I guess he used to really hearing hardcore black guys speak. He was like, you know, I wasn't proper or nothing, but I didn't sound like I had malice in my heart. And he looked at me, he said, you're just a young kid that effed up. I'm going to help you. I said, "Okay." so we went to trial. He took it in trial. But in the midst of the trial, he was making it look like, see, the same time I robbed the bank, my father was starting to get in trouble with drugs. So he was making it look like like my father robbed the bank, and I was trying to take up for him. So while I'm hearing his case, yes, I'm feeling in my stomach, because this is when I start praying. I can't win off this. He's lying. And so I felt it, but I'm I'm trying to hope, because I want to go home. And what happened is, by mistake, I ended up wearing my father's clothes. I didn't do it purposely. I had on a jacket and some pants that he was wearing. So when one of my two of my neighbors came to court on my behalf, one was a, uh, a Cuban guy and one was a white woman that, that lived around us. They came and said, we never seen Reggie do anything. wrong. He was because I was yes, ma'am and no sir in front of them. And they didn't know the other side of me. So they weren't lying. Nobody understood. And we're going through that. And I end up with a hung jury. The jury couldn't find me guilty. Now, what happened was the judge knew I, I wrote a letter to the judge. This is crazy. Asking for mercy before I went to trial. So you got to imagine, the judge knows I'm guilty, but he has to honor me going to trial. Yeah. So now, once they find me guilty, usually you go back and you go to a, you do a new trial. It could be months later, a week later. But the prosecutor had a, uh, it's called a a, uh, appeal. He, He, right in the courtroom, he put it up there in front of the judge, said, I want them to go back right now. This is my appeal. And my judge said, yes. So And I'm like, so... We went. Before the jury went to the back of the room, the judge gave them a speech. He said, let me tell you something. I went to the movies last week. And in the movies, it had all kind of twists and turns, what ifs and maybes. This is not a movie. You have to look directly at the evidence. So when I looked at lawyer, I said, you see what he's doing? He's coercing the jury. Mm-hmm. And my lawyer just put his head and down. And he knows the, the evidence is not pointing at you. He- Without him saying this guy's guilty, he was gesturing. You have to look at the evidence. Ten minutes later, they found me guilty after he did his big old speech. and But, but before, they couldn't even find me guilty. So I'm taking all this pain to my cell. I'm in the cell and I'm cursing God out. And so I was my, my life story is on CBN documentary. You can see it. I was like, what the hell for you? I was just going crazy. My mother, Everything was coming out of me. And I'm yelling at God and myself, where the F were you when my mother was beating me? Where were you when my father was chasing me? Where were you when he's, I mean, my father was on, I was just going off on God. And after I got through, it's almost, I felt the one piece almost, God said, are you done? He said, exactly. I have a purpose for you. He told me I have a purpose for it all. And that's when I was like, I had an encounter with God. And I opened the Bible one day when I was on the bed and I read um, Genesis 1, 27. And it jumped out to me said that he created man and woman in his image. Now, any scripture could have, but that spoke to me. Because when I grew up in high school, being dark-skinned like us wasn't good. You were getting bullied. You were getting picked on. So I was going through a lot. Now I'm reading this. I'm like, wait, if God is all-powerful and I'm creating this image, shouldn't I have some power? It's like a light bulb went on. And I started thinking I'm more than what I've been told if I'm creating God's image. Absolutely, you changed yourself. It yes, it, it helped my mind shift, and from then I just started uh, getting deep in the word, getting the Bible. Four years go by, I'm like the deacon in the church, knocking on the cells, like, yo, I was so with zeal, inviting people to Bible study. I was on fire. I finally get back in the courts because a guy in the prison filed an appeal for me, so I get back in the courts. I'm in the courts in the ju- the state judge. This is four years later. I'm in the county jail. The judge say, well, Mr. Foreman, we did agree to run our time concurrent with the federal prison. Somehow they didn't agree. I'm like, no, they didn't. He said, what we're going to do is just overturn you in nine years and just charge you three years for the gun. Now, I'm, I got a new sentence of three years. So if I already did four years, I'm a year over the new case. I could have went straight home yeah. out the courtroom. He said, well, we can't let you go because the federal prison has a hold on you. They're coming to pick you up. I'm like, okay. But now I'm excited because some light has happened. I got an overturned case. So I'm seeing some movement. So what happens in the county jail is on a Monday, they'll send you to state prison from the jail. On a Tuesday, they, they send you to federal, the van comes. They oh, wow. call my name to pack up on Monday. Yeah, you, Monday, you're going to state prison. Tuesday, you going to federal. But they call my name on a Monday. Why would they call my name? My case was just overturned. So I'm trying to figure out why am I going back to state prison? Is are saying while you're trying to figure it out, God has already worked it out. So they yeah. send me to state prison. Yeah, they send me to state prison. I'm writing my lawyer, I'm writing the prosecutor, I'm writing the judge because all in my mind is, how am I going to beat the federal prison over here in state prison? How am I going to beat them? I got to get out of here. I never got an answer. So my number is number three. For whatever reason, I don't try to press it after three times. But anyway, four months go by. And I'm in this classroom where they teach you how to open a bank because the federal prison is a way different state. They'll teach you how to get on your feet. You got people that sell big time drugs still running the stock market, watching TV in the federal prison. It's like club. Wow. Food. Yeah. Federal prison is still it was a lot of big, you know, those are people that do bank fraud and all that. They go to federal prison All the big so you drug can actually, business go there.
1: So you can actually go in there and come out worse than you were when you went in.
0: You can go in there and come out worse or better. In the federal state, you can come out worse. Because I could sit up under those people and learn how to do stock market. I can learn how to do a lot from the ones who lied and stole people's money. You know what I mean? So um, I go to the, to the um, I'm in the classroom and the lady from R&D, which means receiving and delivery. They either receive you in or deliver you out. She comes to, and her, you know, she said, Mr. Foreman, we need you down at R&D. As I start walking to the door, it used to be a young Haitian kid that was wild. None of the older guys would deal with him. But I was like his big brother. And so I tell people the youth need discipline, but they also need love. So yeah. as I'm walking to the door, he yells "Up, hey, today is your day, it's your day, it's raining outside, it's raining. I'm like, what is that, it's some voodoo or something? What do you mean it's raining outside? I did not know what that meant. So I walk <laughs> off and I'm like, all right, I walk off and I'm going The lady's typing on the computer. She said, Mr. Foreman, you have immediate release. I'm like, okay. Now, I know I'm supposed to leave because... Wait. But I know I'm supposed to leave state prison, but the federal prison is supposed to come pick me up. Exactly. So, right. So I know the judge was like, there's a hold on you. So I'm like, immediately, so I access it. There's no hold on me in the computer? She said, no. I said, there's no detainer on my name in the computer? She said, no. She's typing because they know that I got to go because I'm four months over in their eyes. So I said, I'm going to shut up and ride this out and see what happens. So... They give me the change of clothes. They give you $100 when you get out of state prison. And I walked to the police car with the lady. And I got in the front seat. I never forget that feeling. Like, I'm not in the back seat. And she drove me to the Greyhound bus station. and said, Mr. Foreman, have a nice life. We don't want to see you again. As I oh. got on the Greyhound bus, I'm yelling, oh, my God. I just beat the feds. Because you don't beat federal prison. You can't buy a federal judge like you can a state judge. There's big-time judges that, that send money and they... You know, they do bribes with state. But in federal prison, you really don't do that. But I never got picked up by the federal prison. I'm on a Greyhound bus. I'll stop here if you have any questions. I'm I'm,
1: I'm, I'm listening. (laughs)
0: listening. It's a movie. And literally, I have been a producer. We
1: We honestly have to make a movie of this. And um, we I have, have a script them. already.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm actually I'm actually imagining you on the bus and and you know like looking around the cars. And like the are they gonna
0: like pick me up? I, I can't st- believe I'm going home? Yeah you no? Yeah, so now when I get out of Miami, um uh, my dad is gone from the drugs. I have nobody there and I knew. I always tell people when I coach your counselor. Your so dad, so
1: dad wasn't there anymore?
0: My dad was gone because of the drug. He was running from the DEA. He had got in trouble with the drugs, with the Cubans and oh, Colombians. Wow. He had disappeared. He was pimping and prostitutes. He had disappeared. So I was without my father for years. I didn't see him again. So I only had some friends in Miami, but I knew and I tell people, when you come out of abusive relationship or drug habit or prison, you need accountability. You need somebody to hold you accountable to help you. And I knew if I stay in Miami, I'm going to get back in trouble. I didn't have no help. So what the thing is, at 16 years old, my aunt in St. Louis, Missouri, told me I could move with them. But they are deep, cogic, church and garden of Christ, holiness church, like no makeup, skirt down to their ankles. I was like, I'll never (laughs) be with them. I ain't going to be able to play my rap music. I ain't going to be able to date no girls. And I said, 16, I said, I'm not moving with them. But if I'd have moved with my aunt, I wouldn't have had to rob a bank. Yeah. So now, who do you think I call? I'm like, look, Auntie, I'm in the church now. I knew that they go to church and they go to work. They're gonna hold me accountable if I move there. So they called yeah. me. She said, "Come on, move this. I'm 25 years, 25. I think I moved to St. Louis, Missouri. So I'm up there around them. I'm working at the hardest jobs, like labor jobs. I'm dating. I'm dating the pastor's daughter at my church, and." Every, i'm not thinking about doing nothing wrong she started having dreams that i went back to prison vivid like and i'm like are you crazy i ain't thinking about crying she Started having dreams i went back to prison so 30 months i'm free i'm out short of 36 months a year i was out 30 months 2004 four days after valentine's day it was 6 a.m in the morning and i was laying on the bed all i heard was a heavy heavy knock downstairs I always tell people, you ever heard a US Marshal serve a warrant, it'll wake you up out of coma. So (laughs) that's how heavy it was. I run downstairs and they end the door and they say, Mr. Foreman, we have a warrant for your arrest. They take me to the police car and they turn around and look at me and say, you were let out of prison erroneously by mistake. Whose fault? It was their fault. I had to change my life, moved from crime. I'm in the church and everything. I was mad at God. I wasn't mad at the government. Because I trusted and gave my life to God and I did what He told me to do. And you're telling me I'm going back to prison, God? And I was like, God, what kind of God is that we serve? I was gone. And I remember as I got in prison, then it got worse. The federal prison, they wanted me to do the whole nine and a half years. They didn't want to give Whoa. me the four and a half I just did because the state, the Fed said we never agreed to running our time concurrent with the state. So that's their time. You owe us nine and a half years. I'm like, I just did four and a half years. So I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I'm I'm sitting there, and this older guy walks in. He was a strong man of God. He starts speaking life to me. The guy got a calling. you, Powerful. This At that moment, I had a chance to say a bad word, but I don't want to hear nothing else about God. But I did do that. I tell people, you have to accept the help that God sends you. Because you never know the package of your help and when he was talking to me i just hit my head down and crying because i was ready to take my life for real or i'm about to go crazy but he kept speaking life into me so after that i got on fire and i started going around um getting myself better getting i started joining classes getting certificates and this is what i tell people i'm trying to show the certificates but this is what i try to tell people When when you're praying to god for help i don't have I have a stack of certificates where I went to classes for uh, anger management, how to better yourself when you get out of prison. I start just occupying myself because I'm expecting to be free. I tell people when you're praying to God to help you, you want a husband, you want a wife, you want to start a business. How exactly. are you showing him? How prepared are you for it? How are you showing him that you're ready for the answer, the, the, the prayer to be answered? Me, I didn't. I had nine and a half years. I didn't know when I was going to get out, but I had to better myself. In faith that God's not going to let me do this. That guy helped fight. The one that was speaking like to me, he knew the law worked back and forth. He had a life sentence in prison. All he knew was the law. He filed my appeal. So I did four and a half years. I did three years and I finally got four years. the, The appeal gave me the time I did. So I ended up doing eight and a half years altogether. So you did four years in the federal. Yeah, I did four and a half years the first time. Three years free came back and did four more years so all together was eight and a half
1: years (sighs) wow wow yes ma'am you know i i feel like um crying but then i'm not i actually think it's more of tears of joy
0: Mm.
1: because you know you know when they say when as christians you say it would end in grace. When, when when, that is said to you, when you're going through stuff, shut up saying to the person, shut up, or you don't know what I'm going through. It seems mm-hmm. so far-fetched. And we forget that God also says, um, in the eyes of God, a million years, it could be like a second. <laughs> so, you know, we're here counting four and a half years, three years, one year, that's just like a day in the eyes of God.
0: Well, well, to God, but it didn't feel like a day. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I mean, I'm one of those who, when I'm going through challenges, I'm like, God, I know you have my back. I know you, I, I, I mean, I know your thoughts for me are thoughts of good. But, you know, this period, you have to just give me the strength to
0: understand because it's not making sense. Yes, it's not, and it, it, it never does because of what He's preparing us. Absolutely. Oh my, my story gets so much better after that. But it and it, and then it got hard again. Wow. But when I was in when he told me I have a purpose for it, that turned into my ministry. I wrote a book. That's I've written six books, but one of my main books, there's purpose in your pain. And that's what I try when I help people do is an at-risk specialist. I help people understand from molestation rape. And that's the anointing, the gift he gave me. Can I help everyone? No, but a lot of people, because of the pain I've been through and starting business and stuff I've done after all that we just said that I always can tell somebody without a shadow of a doubt there is a purpose for your pain I'm telling mm-hmm.
1: you awesome awesome
0: this is totally amazing thank you so
1: much Reginald and um, to you guys I'm out see you next week
0: you've been listening to Network Kingdom with Omo Lord. remember if you cannot see where you're going ask someone who has been there before.